When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Live Free Creative, the podcast that provides inspiration and ideas for living a creative, adventurous, and intentional lifestyle. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and I hope that each time you listen, you feel a little bit more free to live your life exactly the way you want to live it. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Live Free Creative, and I'm your host, Miranda Anderson. Today's episode is number 38. I'm super excited to share some ideas with you that I've had these last few weeks about motherhood, specifically about taking care of the mothers. This week is Mother's Day, and I know that it can be a complicated holiday for some. For some, it feels like all flowers and chocolate and sunshine because your experience with your own mother was wonderful and your experience as a mother yourself, if you are one, has also been wonderful. Challenges, of course, here and there, like any normal life. For some of us, Mother's Day is a celebration of all that we hold dear and the role that we feel really divinely inspired to have and to do well. There are a lot of other perspectives on Mother's Day. There are people who don't have a good relationship with their own mother or who have a complicated relationship surrounding having children, wanting them or not wanting them. Maybe some of you are mothers and you don't like it very much. Or maybe you are having a really hard time with it. Maybe you don't feel like you're the type of mother that you wanted to be or aren't living up to your own expectations or maybe someone else's expectations for what motherhood is supposed to look like in your life. I had an episode planned, slated for this week about magical motherhood moments. And I was excited to share some of the beautiful pieces of motherhood and kind of a perspective on that. And then a couple weeks ago, due to some of my own personal experience that I will share a little bit later in this episode, I realized that I wanted to share a different type of episode for Mother's Day. I wanted to talk more about mothering the mothers, about taking care of motherhood and the women all of that, all of us, all women who have a role to play in motherhood in one way or another. I believe that motherhood is a really wide word, that it is an umbrella term that encompasses all of the nurturing and loving and teaching and guiding and taking care of and thinking of and yearning for and struggling with that surrounds the building of relationships within our families and our communities. I think that we're all connected and that motherhood is one of the ties that binds us as humanity. And today I want to share some tips for how we can focus on that role in ourselves and in those around us. Mothering the Mothers is going to be a series, a mini series of three episodes. This week is the first episode where I'm going to share about mothering the mother's physical health. Next week, I'm going to share about mothering the mother's mental health. And the third week, I'm going to share about mothering the mother's spiritual health. I think that as we just take a moment each of these weeks to think about motherhood from a fresh perspective, we might all gain some insight on Number one, how we can better care for ourselves, mother ourselves as mothers. And I'm using that term really generously, wide open, whether you are a mother yet or a mother now or want to be a mother in the traditional sense of the word, 
we are all included in today's episode and in this series about mothering the mothers. And number two, my hope is that as I share some thoughts about mothering the mothers, that we will maybe open our eyes a little bit to those around us in need, that we can not only mother our own children or ourselves, but we can see the needs of others and what our friends and family and the neighbor down the street and the woman in front of you in the carpool lane and the woman in the grocery store with her crying toddler, that we can see the needs and that we can feel more compassion and offer more love, extend more love and support and encouragement to the mothers that we encounter in our daily lives. So I'm going to dive into all of that after a quick segment so I can get you up to date on what is happening in our life lately. I was telling a friend this morning that I'm hesitant to even share what is happening in our life lately because it's almost too absurd to even mention. It feels at this point like like an absolute circus and a joke. And if you have been following along or listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you'll know that our last six months have been kind of wild. We had a giant flood in our house in November. We moved in and out and around and into Airbnbs, one of which had a flood while we were staying there. And then we moved back into our unfinished house a couple weeks ago. They've been finishing up the tile in the master bathroom, the trim. We still have some paint to do. So we moved into the main level. Dave and I sleeping in Milo's room on his queen bed and all three kids in the other bedroom on their triple bunk bed. Luckily, we still had that hanging around from when we were in our rental that only had two bedrooms. So we hadn't completely moved back into the house yet. Our belongings were kind of stacked around. We've been trying to live in these two rooms with all of our stuff, so there's no closet space upstairs available yet, no bedroom. Just imagine everything from your bedroom and take it all out and empty that room completely out, your bathroom and your bedroom, and then put all of that stuff, kind of scatter it throughout the rest of your house. That is the way that we've been living for the last two weeks. Well, you will never believe what I'm about to tell you. Last night, I was getting ready to sit down to record this podcast episode, and I remembered a book that I had that I wanted to share a quote from. And that book, I believed, was upstairs in our storage room, which is kind of through all of the mess into this kind of little uh, attic storage area where when they moved us out of our house for flood repair, they put a lot of our stuff from our bedroom in there. They kind of tucked it all in there. So I thought I had seen a box with the books that I needed. So I went upstairs to look for them. I stepped through into the room. I started shuffling around, and I accidentally knocked over Dave's golf clubs, his set of clubs. And they fell straight down to the side and they fell straight onto the exposed water pipes for the master bathroom. So if you imagine the bathroom finishes with drywall and just behind that wall is where the storage room is. It's an unfinished attic space. There's access through a little door in the closet. So back through the closet door, all of the pipes that come out of the bathroom go exposed because this is an unfinished room along the floor and then down you know, to wherever they connect to all of the other pipes. This house is old, friends. We, it's a 1948 house, and the bathroom was added sometime probably in the 80s, we're guessing. So the pipes are a little bit old. They've been fine, well, until the last six months. I heard the golf clubs fall, and I heard what sounded like beans falling out of a big bag, and I thought, gosh, we don't have beans up here. I couldn't figure out. I mean, this is a split second. And I turned around and I saw the golf clubs had landed on the water pipe and snapped one of them completely in half. And there was water shooting straight out. And I went, this is 1130 at night. I went running, screaming out of the attic, Dave, turn off the water. We luckily know exactly where the water shutoff is. We were able to go out. We have to use pliers to turn it off. But within about five minutes, had the water turned off to the whole house. Within that five minutes, we once again had water coming through light fixtures in the dining room. This is a ceiling. (laughs) The light fixture was put up one week ago. And there was water coming through. I had put a garbage bag beneath it. And in the bedroom, the one bedroom that was unaffected by our flood in November, 
now had water coming through the ceiling through the light fixture and forming beads along a crack in the ceiling. Now that's the one room that does not have a new ceiling. It has an original plaster ceiling. Needless to say, we know what to do when a flood happens. We were able to get the water shed off. I called a flood restoration team. They came out about a half hour later, started um, assessing the damage and Luckily, the dining room ceiling seems like it's going to be fine. It was dry everywhere except for right by the light fixture. So they put a dryer on it, and we're going to see if we can save the whole ceiling and not even have to do anything. Just maybe drying it out will be enough. In the other bedroom, it's going to be a little trickier. They drilled holes. Rather than immediately taking down the whole ceiling, they drilled holes through the plaster along where the humid line was, hoping that if they could get a dehumidifier in there and get the air mover, that they could dry out that ceiling as well and not have to take down and replace the whole ceiling. We don't know yet whether or not we're going to save that ceiling. This just happened last night. So hopefully when they come back this afternoon, they're going to tell me things are looking good we'll just have to patch and paint. There was a moment in the middle of this water yelling at at Dave to turn it off and looking around and just having flashbacks to six months ago and all that we've gone through to get back into our house and try to repair it and restore it and still not being all the way settled in, still not being finished. There was a moment where I felt myself kind of start to cry like you know, like break down almost like my tears were all coming and I was like giving into that and I know that it's good to cry and it can be healthy to cry and I started to do that and then like my body stopped. Like I couldn't do it. I couldn't, as I was having this moment of sort of total breakdown, I, my mind automatically said, this isn't helpful. Like the, this is, it's not helpful and it's, not going to feel good to break down and to cry about it like that. There's nothing that you can do. And so my automatic reflex was to say, okay, what can I do? What can I control? What can I do to make things better right now? And, and I don't know if I did anything, (laughs) but I know that sometimes there is just no sense to the things that are happening in life. And our life lately, really for like the last two years, has not looked anything like I expected. We've encountered one unexpected trial, obstacle, problem, whatever you want to call it, after another. In the last few weeks, I feel like it's been near constant that every couple of days something has happened that was unexpected, that felt hard and stressful, and I am if nothing else, gaining compassion for people who go through really hard things, who feel like I've been simultaneously learning all of these great tools for managing my mind, for um, overcoming stress and overwhelm, for exercising gratitude and replacing all of the fear and anxiety that comes with problems and with not really clearly being able to see the immediate solutions, replacing that with hope and with uh, a peace in the not knowing. The universe is teaching me not only to learn them, but to exercise these principles and to really to really put it into practice. I have been taking it slow, and I'm going to talk more about this kind of stuff in the episode, but um, I've been utilizing the tools that I'm learning about of mindfulness, of getting sleep, of eating properly, of taking care of myself, of taking a break, of not piling on more to what already feels like too much. I am rambling now. <laughs> if In case any of you are feeling like life has been a lot lately or you don't know when the problems are going to stop, I want to tell you that I am right there with you and that we can make it through. That I don't know how, but I do know that it's all gonna work out. Things are all gonna work out. That has been a little bit of life lately. Now, I'm gonna end this update on a happy note because along with all the bad, there is so much good that's happening in our lives. Even the small blessings of you know not having the ceiling immediately need to come down and knowing exactly where the water shutoff valve is because we've been through this before. 
Um, all of those things have been really helpful, the silver linings within the problems themselves. But let me tell you about Life Lately, something fantastic that has happened. This week, the finished manuscript of my book was approved and sent to the printer. That means it is out of my hands, friends. I'm going to definitely share a podcast episode or two about the whole process. But for now, I want to just celebrate with you. The book is done. It will be printed and shipped and available for pre-order at the end of this month. One of the perks of pre-order for the book, More Than Enough, is that you will get an audiobook file for free. So the audiobook, I'm start I'm recording the audiobook on Monday and Tuesday next week, and that book will be available on Amazon and Audible just like any other audiobook. But if you pre-order the hard copy of the book when I, you know, in the end of May when that's available, then you will automatically get the audiobook for free. So for those of you who like listening, I know there's a lot of you podcast listeners who have asked whether or not there will be an audiobook. Yes, there will be. And if you order the hard copy, you will get the audiobook for free. So it's a twofer, which is always fun. We like a twofer. And the hard copy book will be really fun because not only does it have a reading portion and the narrative and the lessons that I share, but at the end of each chapter, there's also a workbook section. So you get to answer some questions and have some lists and things that will be really helpful to refer to as you are learning your way through my story. So there it is, friends. Just like always, we have some bad, and with it, we have some great life lately. Now let's jump into this episode. I want to talk today about mothering the mothers. And I want to start by inviting you to remember yourself as a child, how you were looked after by your own mother, by your teachers, by maybe a friendly neighbor or a wonderful nanny. What did those people do for you? Everything, right? They made sure that you were fed, that you were clothed, that you got enough sleep at night. You probably had a curfew when you were a teenager. You probably had a bedtime when you were a child. You were invited to go to school and to learn and to develop yourself. And every step of the way, there was someone looking out for you. I can still hear some of the things that my mom would tell me about making sure that I was eating a vegetable or getting enough sleep so that I wouldn't be cranky or grumpy the next day. She made sure that I was bathed and made sure my hair was done and sometimes would do it in these really fun braids and put flowers in it for May Day. It's one of my favorite memories. When I was sick, my mom, who was a nurse, would make sure that I had saltines and Gatorade or Sprite and come check on me and take my temperature and make sure that I was getting the rest that I needed to feel better. And when I was sick or injured with things that required medical attention, she made sure that I got to the doctor and that I was taken care of, that the follow-ups were completed, and that I was whole at the end of my treatment. There's usually some in-between years when you're kind of out of the direct care of your mother or that mother figure, and you're learning to take care of yourself. And some of us learned that better than others. Some of us ate well when given the option. Some of us got enough sleep. I would venture not a lot of us, though, during some of those college years. And you sort of start to figure it out how to take care of yourself, meet your needs, and you know, get to the doctor when you're sick or impose a curfew on yourself when you were tired. And then these women, us, you, me, we become mothers. Some of us in a traditional sense where we actually have a child in our arms that we need to take care of. And for me, it was at that moment that I became a mother to someone other than myself, that I needed to take care of this little person and then the next little person and then the next little person and put their needs all the time ahead of my own. And what this looked like for a lot of my young motherhood was that I was super sleep deprived, that I never sat down to eat a meal, that I didn't always know exactly what I wanted to be doing or how to take care of my own needs and the needs of my child. This is a definite paradox. It's an age-old question, I'm sure, although some cultures tend to have it a little bit more right than others, I think. In Western culture, mothers are given their children and sent home. 
and invited to figure it out. And if you're chronically sleep deprived, then welcome to the club. And if you haven't eaten a real meal, you've eaten goldfish and leftover apple juice boxes, sips here and there before you toss them into the garbage can, well, guess what? That's life. And when your health is suffering because of some of the wounds incurred during the very act of becoming a mother, then you must have done something right because the rest of us are feeling the exact same way. Now, I don't want to be a downer, (laughs) even though I'm kind of going there. What I want to do in this episode is to encourage. I want to encourage you and to remind you that you need to mother yourself. That if you are a mother, traditionally or not traditionally or not yet, that you get to be responsible for loving and caring for yourself the way that you do for your children. How do you mother them? How did your mother mother you? Take all of that positive and remind yourself that you need mothering. All of us do. In today's episode, I want to dive into a little more detail on three specific aspects of mothering ourselves when it comes to physical health. One of them is going to be sleep, One of them is going to be food or eating and taking care of our own injuries or illnesses, including, I'm going to share specifically about some of the wounds of childbirth that I realized just a few weeks ago that I am still needing help to recover from. So let's start with sleep. Women, we need to sleep. I just read a fascinating article that was entitled something like, Why are we torturing the mothers? And it went specifically into how sleep deprivation has been widely recognized as a form of torture. We're talking about real torture, like torturing terrorists type of torture. Keeping people awake night after night after night is not safe and it's not healthy. Yet so many of us accept this as part of what it means to have children. I remember in nursing school, one of my professors told us that if you got less than eight hours of sleep at night, your judgment level the next day would be like someone with a blood alcohol level that would be convicted of a DUI. I don't know the specifics of what that exactly percentage-wise looks like, but so she would, one of the questions on her exams was, did you get eight hours of sleep last night? And it was a graded question. I mean, I guess you could have been dishonest if you hadn't, but she cared so much about us getting enough sleep so that we could operate on our fullest ability that she added it to her nursing school tests for points. In the article that I referred to that I will link in the show notes at livefreecreative.co slash podcast, it talked about how chronic sleep deprivation means that you are up consistently, not getting enough sleep consistently, and not able to recover from your sleep debt. I love that term, sleep debt. Who is going to advocate for you to get that sleep? That's my question. Who is mothering the mothers? The answer, most likely, is that no one is. And so you have got to do it for yourself. You have got to tell someone that you need help. If you have a young baby that's still waking up to eat in the middle of the night, this may look like taking some extra work to have your partner pitch in and do some of the night feedings. Maybe that means learning to give the baby a bottle. Maybe it looks like rather than trying to get everything else done and bounce back to normal as soon as possible once that baby's born, that you really take it seriously to sleep during the day and find someone to help with the laundry or hand that job over to your partner for the first couple months. Accept every single offer for help that people give you. So often I've seen young mothers who say, I've got it all together. I've got it figured out. I can handle this. And yet they're not sleeping and they're not eating. We have to advocate for ourselves. And when someone offers help, Say yes. 
And if no one is offering, then ask. Once your kids get a little bit older, it becomes a little bit easier to get a good night's sleep. Yet I can still be guilty of not getting the sleep I need by choice because I'm working on a project or I get involved watching Netflix or something else and I'm not protecting my sleep. I'm not mothering myself. What would my mom say if I imagine myself right now as still being her daughter in the way that she was looking out for me as fully as she was when I was younger. She would invite me to go to sleep because she would tell me I need my sleep so that I can be fully aware, fully functional, and have all of the coping that I need and the patience and the joy to embrace the next day and whatever it might bring. How many of you find yourselves overtired Not because the kids got you up all night, but because you simply didn't go to bed. You have to mother yourself. This goes as much for people who have their own children in the home as for people who don't have children or who don't have children living at home anymore. We are responsible for taking care of our own sleep and protecting it. I am learning to be better at this. For years, I can't tell you how many years, I told myself that I was a person who didn't need a lot of sleep. I would go to bed at like 3 in the morning after putting the kids to sleep and then sewing or working on a blog project until the wee hours of the morning. And then I'd groggily climb into bed, go to sleep, and wake up at 6 to go running with my running group, and then get the kids ready for school and start the day all over again. Would be so what felt like high functioning, but then when something, little thing sometimes went wrong, I kind of felt like, oh, I couldn't cope or I would be less patient than I wanted to be, both with myself and with my kids and with other people. I wasn't as creative because I felt exhausted. When we don't get sleep, we don't function properly. Now I wanna make this as practical as possible. And I know that some of you have scenarios that feel hard to overcome, whether it's young babies at home or kids that are still getting up in the middle of the night or just worry or anxiety, or maybe you work a night job and you have a hard time putting yourself to bed during the day. I can't address every single circumstance and I wouldn't have all the right answers anyway because our lives are so different. But what I want to invite you to do is to consider how you can advocate for yourself. How can you solve the sleep problem? How can you ensure that you are mothering your own sleep, that you're taking care of yourself with the same love and tenderness that you do your own children? I know that there are solutions and I know that you can figure it out. If you need help for figuring out a babysitter or talking to your partner about sharing some of the load when it comes to sleep, He may say that he needs to be alert for work all night, and that's true, but you also need to be alert for taking care of those children and taking care of yourself. So maybe if you get up all week, that you could sleep on Friday night and sleep in to your heart's content on Saturday. And maybe for a season, this means not doing all of the other things that you want to do so that you can sleep. Maybe not doing that project, not saying yes to that responsibility because sleep is valuable it's important and you need to be the one who makes sure that you're getting enough okay number two let's talk about eating you guys can see where this is going it's the same thing I laugh thinking about even this morning even as I have been considering this and pondering on it and getting ready to share this episode I was making breakfast for my kids they usually have scrambled eggs fresh backyard eggs and toast in the morning, or sometimes oatmeal. We have like a hearty breakfast. My kids don't go to school until a little bit later, so we have a lot more time, which is nice in the morning to have a a nice breakfast. So Elliot made the scrambled eggs while I was putting toast in the toaster, and I poured some chocolate milk, and then I put plates in front of each of the kids, and I had a plate for myself, but I started to pick it up to eat it as I was standing so that I could put away dishes from the dishwasher as I was going to do that. And I remembered that I was about to sit down and record this episode where I was going to advise you 
to mother yourself when it came to your eating habits, to sit down and enjoy an actual meal, to not just grab handfuls here and there and tell yourself that you're too busy or you have too much going on to take care of the way that you eat. And so I sat down with my kids. It took five minutes. It wasn't like an hour-long leisurely brunch. I sat down in the chair and I chatted with my kids as I ate my eggs and I ate my toast and I took a few deep breaths. The dishes are going to be there. They're going to be there. Mothering ourselves when it comes to eating means aligning our actions with our values. Like I shared and Natalie Norton shared in that episode a few back, aligning our actions with our values means We know the way that we would like to eat. We know what's healthy. We know everyone's eating habits are a little different. What you like to eat, what times you like to eat, those sorts of things. And I think it looks a little different for for everyone. But you know what feels right for you. But how often do you actually do that? Do you eat the way that you tell your children to? I know that I always tell my, encourage my kids to choose a vegetable at each of their meals or to eat until they feel satisfied and not not eat anymore. Or if they get home from school and have an after-school snack and an hour later they're hungry again, but dinner's almost ready, I say, why don't we wait a few minutes and we can eat dinner then? While I'm not, I don't think I'm overbearing, I consistently coach my kids around eating habits. I want them to have a positive relationship with food. I want them to feel comfortable making choices I want them to eat when they're hungry and not overeat. I don't want them to use food as an emotional trigger or buffer, even though we all do that to some extent sometimes. (laughs) Do I do those same things for myself? This is just an invitation for you to ponder. How would you treat yourself if you were your own child? That's what mothering the mothers is all about. It's flipping the script a little bit. And recognizing that we, as mothers, need someone to take care of us. And that person is ourself. We need to advocate for ourself. You will know what your own challenges are surrounding food. Maybe you feel like you're doing great on this one. Maybe you eat healthy foods, the kind that you know nourish your body. You sit down for a couple meals a day, you enjoy your food, chewing it slowly and tasting all of the wonderful sensations that come with eating. If you've got this one nailed, then great. Maybe there's someone around that needs a little bit of help. If you're making a fresh, wonderful dinner every night or a few nights a week, and once in a while you could double batch it, And give some to someone in need, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your congregation at church, someone at school who just had a baby. We need to take care of ourselves when it comes to meals. And this is also a really, really fun one where we are able to easily take care of others. When you're eating properly, nutritiously, you feel more balanced. Hormonally and emotionally, you're able to think properly You're able to have the energy that you need to accomplish the tasks at hand. I often think about that acronym HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. There's a reason that hungry is first on that, I think. I can definitely be hangry. I mean, Dave jokes with me about that. And Plum has just entered this phase where she will get just like so emotional about little tiny things and as soon as she, she kind of goes off and starts crying about something silly, like, you know, my shoe buckle came undone and just like, oh, the water works. And Dave and I look at each other. She's hungry. We know right off. And she doesn't know that she's hungry, but we can tell by the way that she's acting, by the way that it's manifesting in her emotional state that she's hungry. And we get her something to eat. We get her a snack or we have a meal and she's back to her pleasant, totally wonderful self. Raise your hand if you relate. I know that I'm that way. When I feel especially overwhelmed, it's usually because I'm hungry. And after I sit down and have a handful of almonds or a bowl full of chocolate ice cream, whatever the case may be, I usually am able to feel a little bit better. 
Sometimes it's just taking that break and sometimes your body actually needs food. You have a low blood sugar. Nothing's working properly. You need to feed yourself more than just leftover snacks or fast food in order to feel the way that you want to feel. I wanna give you a quick challenge with this one. I don't know if everyone has a problem with sitting down to eat their meals like I do, but I know breakfast and lunch are tricky for me. We all sit together as a family at dinner, but I will often eat breakfast or lunch on the go as I'm heading to work or as I'm running errands and have a quick RX bar in the car. I wanna challenge you every day this week, from today until whatever day of the week you're listening on next week, to eat all of your meals seated sitting down and enjoying them and maybe as a bonus putting your phone aside and just eating treating eating itself like an activity like that is important enough to matter to have space set aside for it i am excited to do this and i'm going to share when i do on instagram so you can check that out at live free miranda and i invite you to share as well maybe i'll make a hashtag for a challenge and say take a seat to eat Something like that. That's a good one, actually. (laughs) So look for that. But I think even just the act of taking a seat to eat, because I'm going to run with that now that I came up with it, that creates the space where we actually then are thoughtful about the meal. And then maybe we're not just grabbing a bag of potato chips or not that there's anything wrong with potato chips. I'm not going to tell you what to eat because number one, I'm not totally qualified for that, even though I did work as a diabetes educator and nutritionist for five years. I am not going to approach that. (laughs) And also, because you know better than anyone else. And so uh, I think just creating the space by sitting down and having your meals can be really helpful. I tell my kids this too. I mean, here's another thing. Mothering the mothers, I'll tell my kids, just sit down and eat and then you can go play. Don't take your popsicle stick out on the trampoline. (laughs) Just sit down and have your meal and enjoy it. So let's try to do that together, okay? Who's with me? Finally, let me talk about healing ourselves physically from injury or trauma. Specifically, I'm going to talk about wounds of childbirth. But before I get there, I want to just advocate. As a healthcare professional, I'm just going to pull the nurse card a little bit, (laughs) even though I'm a registered nurse. I haven't worked as a nurse for about five years, but I am educated as a nurse, I have a current license as a nurse, and I just have to advocate as a healthcare professional that we need to be taking care of our health. When was the last time you saw a doctor for a physical? When was the last time you had blood work done? Are you keeping up with your breast exams? Do you see a dentist? Are you taking care of your oral health? All of these things that we know that our parents did for us as we were growing up are the things that we now have to do for ourselves. It sometimes is referred to as adulting, making a doctor's appointment for an annual exam. That's adulting, friends. That's also mothering. That's thoughtfully caring for yourself and your body and your health. And I know as well as anyone that the healthcare system can feel very complicated and everyone's financial and insurance situations are very different. And so you will know best for yourself But I have to recommend that you keep up, keep on top of having a medical home. That means having a provider that is aware of you and has your history somewhere so that if something does happen, that you know where to go. Okay, now I know I had a lot of questions and interest about my current struggle with the wounds of my own childbearing years in the form of diastasis recti, which is the separation of my abs that happened during my pregnancies, and um, a weak pelvic floor. If you haven't heard of either of these things and you have had children, then chances are you want to inform yourself because both of these things affect everyone who carries a child to to term. Uh, The stretching that happens during pregnancy naturally separates our abdominal muscles to some degree. And in some people, they're able to easily come back together. And in a lot of people, about 40% of women who carry a baby to term, those muscles don't come back together on their own. And in fact, they, they, they can't really. I mean, 
Unfortunately, because of the tissue involved, the muscles will not naturally come back together after that point. A permanent solution for that is surgery, but it's not covered by insurance and it's considered a cosmetic surgery. The secondary treatment, which can be as helpful but has to be maintained for the long term, is physical therapy. Learning the specific exercises that you need to know to strengthen the layers of muscle that surround your core, including your pelvic floor. So let me just back up for a second and tell you my experience. I had Milo and had a fairly straightforward pregnancy. I gained a lot of weight, but I don't know that that was unusual. And then I had him vaginally and I tore a little bit and had some stitches and then was sent home and had my six-week follow-up. They said everything's looking good and then that was that. A couple years later, I had Elliot. And again, I had a I had a hard pregnancy, but physically uh, I you know, gained a lot of weight. I had this big belly, my back was sore, <laughs> kind of textbook pregnancy. And then he was born and I was repaired and I was sent home and went on my merry way. And then I was pregnant with Plum. And I gained even more weight with Plum because she was 11 days late. And I had a natural childbirth with her, natural vaginal childbirth. By the way, in case you are a childbirth person and you want to know more about my birth stories, I just have to call out that I did record them with the birth hour, and I will link all of those episodes in the show notes in case you're interested. I go into lots of detail. Um, But so Plum was a natural water birth, and her delivery was uncomplicated, and I delivered her in a birthing center at about 6 o'clock in the morning. And by 8 o'clock in the morning, I was back home in my own bed recovering. That's very fast. <laughs> Faster than even the couple days that you get in the hospital. Um, but I was happy with that. And my mom was there to take care of me as she was with all of my pregnancies. I was super lucky to have my mom. We didn't live in town. And she came into town and she took care of me, took care of the baby, did the laundry, did the dishes, really just took over for a week and then Dave's mom came in turn and did the same thing for another week and then we really were just on our own. At my six-week follow-up with Plum, I noted that you know my, my belly was still big the way that it is after you have a baby and the doctor noted that I did have a large separation. This is what's called diastasis recti. It's the separation between your outer abdominal muscles and she recommended that I see my primary care doctor to decide what we wanted to do moving forward. And so I went then to my primary care doctor, and she told me that the only way to repair that type of deep wound was with surgery. And then she explained a little bit about what the surgery entailed, and told me that I needed to be definitely sure that I was done having kids by then because the way that it's done binds your apps together so that then you're, you can no longer expand them to accommodate another pregnancy. So although I was mentally done having kids, I, it just felt really early to make that decision. And so I decided to wait. Five years is what I decided to wait to see how I felt about it and that I could decide whether surgery was going to be the right option in five years. So fast forward, I'm recovering and healing and and feeling okay. Actually, I took it a lot slower with Plum than I had with any of the boys and really soaked in her, her infancy and her babyhood. And I didn't try to get back to exercising as quickly and I didn't try to bounce back. I just really soaked in knowing that I needed time to heal and I needed time to feel better and feel a little bit more like myself. And I'm glad that I did that. Then we moved and I didn't really have a reason to see Uh, an OBGYN because I wasn't planning on having any more babies and so it took a while but one thing that was kind of persistent and lingering from from Plum's pregnancy was that I had this lower back pain just kind of a dull ache it wasn't ever sharp it didn't feel like I was dying I just kind of hurt all the time And I always would kind of laugh it off and say, oh, I'm just getting old. I feel like an old woman. I have this consistent lower back pain. And it was really 
kind of annoying and some days it felt better and some weeks it felt really bad, like a lot worse. And so I tried a few different things and I tried yoga and I tried um, a heating pad and a few different things and it could feel better for a time, but it was just persistent. At the same time, I had learned a little bit more about diastasis recti and seen that there were some online programs that uh, encouraged pelvic floor recovery and abdominal support specifically for diastasis recti. And so I did one of these programs and I did six weeks of exercises and I felt like I was doing it right and doing it well. And I noticed some improvement in the way that my abs felt, like I felt like they were getting a little stronger. And so I thought I was doing it and I was really proud of myself. (laughs) And I also learned about some of the things that you're not supposed to do, like running and weightlifting and things that are hard on that particular condition. And so I had stopped those things for a while, but after I did this exercise program, I thought, gosh, I feel pretty good. And I didn't really know how else to exercise because running and weightlifting is kind of what I've always done and what I enjoy. And so I started back up. You probably know that a few weeks ago I ran a half marathon and I had been training for that for weeks and felt really good about it. Uh, In fact, two weeks before I ran the half marathon, I had made an appointment to see an OBGYN just to check in because it had been a couple years and I felt like it might be time to, like I was talking about earlier, advocate for myself and just do my regular checkup. I should mention that it's recommended to do an annual exam with an OBGYN if you are of childbearing age. So a couple years was even stretching it. I hadn't gone in a while. And one of the things that I mentioned in my checkup was that I had this persistent back pain and the doctor diagnosed again my diastasis recti and she said you know the first thing that I want to do is send you to physical therapy because even if you do end up getting surgery physical therapy is the first place to start so let's do physical therapy first and then we can talk about surgery down the line I was sent to specifically maternal health physical therapy. So this is not just a regular physical therapist that I would have gone to, you know, like when I hurt my knee skiing and tore my meniscus when I was in my 20s and I spent six months doing exercises at an orthopedic physical therapist. This is not the same thing. This practice of physical therapy specializes in maternal health. They specialize specifically in the muscles and ligaments and bones surrounding the pelvic floor and the abdomen and the back, all of the places that are affected by childbearing and childbirth, this is their specialty. I actually didn't know really what to expect. And so I went in and was surprised when I was asked to put on a gown and they explained to me that they were going to do an external exam and that on my next visit, they would do an internal exam because the pelvic floor muscles are deep and you can't assess them from the outside, which is probably part of why so many women go without noticing or understanding that there is something wrong. They handed me a packet and it talked about all of the things that the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction and of abdominal dysfunction that we call normal motherhood, like peeing a little bit when you laugh or having persistent lower back pain or abdominal pain or that little mama pooch that doesn't seem to go away no matter how much you diet or how much you exercise, that kind of badge of motherhood, all of those things are not normal. Those things are not healthy post-baby years. Those are all symptoms of a deeper problem, of something that is actually happening that can be healed within yourself. I'll be honest, I was very overwhelmed and a little bit emotional when I realized that this issue that I thought I had kind of overcome and taking care of myself through the little exercise programs and getting really fit and healthy, that I, in fact, still have quite a wound from my childbearing years. My abs are very separated and my pelvic floor is very weak. And these are all things that need to be taken care of. They need to be healed the way that they're going to be healed for me right now is by doing physical therapy. And I'm going weekly and sometimes twice a week. I've had a lot of people when I reached out and shared about this on Instagram, a lot of people asked if I could share the exercises that they're giving me or things like that. And the truth is it's just so individual 
they're tailoring the exercises every visit to my body and my progress. And the other thing that has been really tricky and why I recommend that you need to mother yourself if you have had children yourself physically, that you probably need to see a physical therapist. You probably should have seen one right after childbirth, like is part of the postpartum care in every single other developing country except for America. The issues that you may have with your post-childbearing body are going to be different than the ones that I have. And so just sharing the exercises that are sort of cut and dry for me might not be the ones that work for you. I, at my last visit, asked my physical therapist what she would recommend to women who have had babies and maybe didn't have any follow-up care. And this is the reality of the wounds of childbearing and childbirth. They are not recognized. They're invisible. We carry bodies inside our bodies for nine to 10 months and we get them out (laughs) either by squeezing them through our tissues and muscles or by going under the scalpel and having them extracted through major surgery. And then we're sent home and we put all of our care and focus on taking care of that little infant. And we need to do that. We need to take care of our babies. But moms, we also need to take care of ourselves. Who mothers the mothers? We have to. My physical therapist, who's wonderful and was so passionate, shared with me that in every single developing country, excepting the United States, there is a built-in postpartum care that includes physical therapy, sometimes lasting up to six months. Of course, we know that in lots of other countries, there's a lot more care given to families in terms of maternity leave and paternity leave and all of those things. But specifically regarding a mother's health post-childbirth, there is so much that can be done, and it's kind of a blind spot in our healthcare system. I felt really kind of betrayed, not only by the doctors who had watched out for me, and I saw midwives, I saw incredible women who supported me all through my pregnancies and then kind of dropped the ball at the end. And I didn't know enough to support myself. During one of my appointments, I I left and I called Dave and I was crying because <laughs> it's been kind of emotional. And I, I told him, I am a white, middle-class, highly educated college graduate who was also a nurse and had worked for years as a healthcare professional. If I don't know this stuff, if I've never heard about how to take care of myself after I have a baby, and I have all of these privileges, how is there hope for anyone else? Anyone who circumstantially doesn't have the same benefits of understanding or of education or of access to healthcare? And this is why I felt really called to share this message, not only about these specific wounds that we incur, childbearing and childbirth, but also just generally about how our health matters too. Your health matters too. Taking care of yourself matters. You need to mother yourself and love yourself and think of yourself and care for yourself as you do your children. My physical therapist also went on to share that in third world countries or or not as developed countries, they don't have the same maybe built-in system for postpartum care and physical therapy that there are in other developed countries, but that culturally there is a natural community surrounding the mother. Sometimes sisters and aunts and neighbors and members of the community will come sit in and basically move in and live with the young mother so someone can take care of the baby and everyone else can take care of the mom. And they'll feed her and bathe her and clothe her and help her rest and help her exercise and make sure that her body is healing properly. All of the things that you would do for your child if your child went through such a traumatic event, a major surgery, or 
a, you know, a body changing circumstance like childbearing and childbirth. What would you do for your child after going through major, major bodily trauma? You would sit with him or her. You would care for them. You would feed them. You would let them rest. You would create a situation in which they could heal. You would make sure that that child had access to therapy and to doctors and to follow-up and to specialists and to whatever they needed in order to heal, in order to become whole. It was incredible for me to hear this therapist tell me that all of the symptoms that we call normal after childbirth are not. They don't have to be. You don't have to live feeling like you have been permanently damaged by the bearing and birthing of your kids. She shared that some women come in in their 40s and 50s, their kids grown, and they have problems that stem back to 20 years before or 15 years before when they had their children and they never took the time to care for themselves. She said that sometimes during menopause, which is you know this natural part of a woman's hormonal journey, that all of the things that are unresolved in childbirth will come back to haunt you. (laughs) And by then, it's a lot harder to take care of them because you're not as young and your body doesn't bounce back quite as easily. So to finish this episode, (laughs) I want to invite you in whatever stage you are to mother yourself and your physical health, to take care of your sleep, to take care of yourself and eat, and to take care of your own physical health, including, as the case may be, the wounds of childbearing and childbirth. The best way to assess and take care of that last one is to see specifically a maternal health physical therapist, someone who is trained specifically in caring for and healing your inner workings as a mom. Depending on your situation and your insurance or lack thereof, you may need a referral from an OBGYN. You also may be able to just reach out to one directly and go see them. I know with my insurance, I I did happen to get a referral, but with my insurance, I could have just called and made an appointment myself. When I shared about this on Instagram, like I mentioned, I had literally hundreds of women reach out to me to share their stories and how they feel like something has been wrong for years And now they might have an idea of what it is. And so if in sharing these ideas, more of you will have the permission that you need to take care of yourself, to mother yourself, then I am more than happy to be sharing my own experience. Okay, guys, that was a big one. Sleep, eat, heal. That's our, that's our goal. I hope that this idea of mothering the mothers and mothering yourself is something that will stick with you. That is, you're making decisions about how to take care of yourself, that you'll remember that you matter, that you are someone's child, and to take care of yourself the way that that mother would want to care for you, the way that you care for your own children. Because we need you. We need you healthy. We need you whole. We need you vibrant and alive and happy and fulfilled. Your children need you that way. Your partner needs you that way. Your community needs you that way. As a companion to this episode, I want to invite you, if you haven't yet listened, to episode 19 entitled Wholeness in Motherhood. This is a great time to revisit this episode. If you haven't heard it, listen to it for the first time. And if you have heard it, Give it another listen. I think that you will enjoy it, especially right now as we're talking about motherhood. Thank you so much as always for being here. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear what you think about it. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can send me a direct message on Instagram or you can leave a comment at the bottom of the show notes. The show notes are always available. The full transcript from the show at livefreecreative.co slash podcast. Again, this is episode 38. You can leave a comment there and I always see those, read them and respond to them. If there's someone that you know that you think might benefit from this episode, I would invite you to share it. Send it in a text message or email it to someone, or just mention it. 
I'm so happy when you do that. I love that so many of my episodes are resonating with so many of you. I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Whatever it looks like for you, however that makes your heart feel, know that it can be a time of celebration and that you can choose to use Mother's Day as a day to mother yourself, to advocate for yourself, and to care for yourself. Have a really wonderful week. I can't wait to be back here and talk to you next week about mothering the mother's mental health. See you later. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.